Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another very special episode of the Housing Matters Podcast. It's your favorite data nerds back with everything you need to know about the housing market and the economy. Uh, my name is Jordan Levine. I'm the Vice President Chief Economist here at the California Association of Realtors, and I'm joined by my co-host, Oscar Way, our Deputy Chief Economist. Hey, Oscar. Hey, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm really excited this time because we're also joined by two very, very special guests who need no introduction, but I'm going to indulge myself anyways and, and give them one because we have Leslie Appleton Young, our former chief economist, my old boss, mentor, and, and amazing person. Uh, and, and we're also joined by John Tassillo, who's an economist, speaker, author, extraordinaire, former chief economist at NAR, at Florida Association of Realtors, uh, Georgetown alum, and just all around great guy. Thank you guys both so much for, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Our pleasure, our pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to be here. Great to see you guys. So before we abuse Leslie and John's time, <laughs> I, I thought we could maybe set the stage a little bit by just running through the January numbers that we just released in California, because I think it speaks to a lot of the stuff that we want to get your your guys' opinion on. Because, you know, on the, on the one hand, sales are remaining fairly strong, even in January, where rates started to go up a little bit. We had an 8% decline from where we started in 2021, but we're still about 445,000 uh, unit pace. And actually, Prices are still going up, right, Oscar? Yeah, we're still pretty strong, you know, for a January. And also, given the fact that we did have a slight dip in uh, December, even though mm -hmm. that slight dip was still at a pre-pandemic uh, level, we're at 444 for the sales. And as far as price is concerned, now we're not seeing a double-digit gain anymore. Mm -hmm. um, we, In fact, you know, in January, we actually saw a 9%, 9.4% gain. Now, in normal, any normal time, 9% is actually very, very good. But, you know, we had had, what, about 20 months of consecutive months of double-digit gain in yeah. home prices on a year-over-year -year basis. So it is right, right around 765, 766,000 as for the statewide median price. Uh, it's we do we believe that you know uh, we are going to see uh, uh, some price growth this year, but uh, it's going to be a little bit more moderate. And the trend that we're seeing right now, and uh, at the beginning of the year, it seems to suggest that that we are kind of on track. Yeah, and I think you know we we can expect more moderation. We could go into the guts, and you can get all that stuff on our website. But you see it all across, you know, price segments geographically. Just more mm -hmm. kind of normalization of the stuff that, right. that has been kind of started since the summer of of last year when prices were running uh, really hot. The big change, I guess, is is rates and how that's kind of the one two punch when it comes to housing uh, affordability. But all in all, you know, the, the January numbers are, are a pretty solid report, although we do see those, those kind of headwinds mounting, which kind of brings me to the, the first question for John and Leslie, which is just the 30,000 foot perspective, right? The economy has been, um, recovering, do, you know, what do you guys see on that front? Can we remain optimistic? Any things that are major concerns? Well, I think there's a lot of things that are major concerns. And right at the top of my head is just the concern that the Fed is going to um, overcorrect. You know, there's mm. been a tremendous amount of focus on inflation and all of the consumer sentiment, con consumer confidence measures that are out there showing that people are 
very, very upset about inflation. And the latest number, the 7.5% we saw in January um, was, was stunning. Uh, yeah. But there are reasons for this and certainly the supply constraints that we are all familiar with um, that have dogged us throughout the um, um, pandemic are, are a big part of it. Um, all, and, and we certainly see those working themselves out. You know, yeah. for example, GM is expecting a, a fairly significant increase in car production in, in 22 and all that is good. I think the concern um, with inflation is just now we're seeing it a lot more broad-based and deeper than right. mm -hmm. we thought. That, that whole transitory idea is really out the window. And we saw in January that in services, for example, we had a 4.6% increase, which yeah. is well below the, the aggregate, right? But it's still um, a pretty stunning increase. So, so for me, I, I, I really look at the policy side and I, I don't think that, that a tighter monetary policy is gonna do much for the supply constraints, right? I mean, right. It, mm -hmm. it may help people's expectations and how they set prices, but it's not gonna solve what I would see the core problem. Um, John? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm impressed with the strength of this economy. You know, the mm. supply constraint problem is easing up a bit now. We're beginning to see that open up. Yeah, uh, We're seeing uh, decent, if not spectacular growth. The employment situation is improving right. month to month. Um, a lot of really good things are happening. But I think the overriding concern for me is the sheer nervousness of this economy. Mm. We've seen how the stock market and the bond market are reacting very, very strongly to any bit of news that may in fact be negative. Right, uh, right now they're, they're riding the uh, Russian invasion train. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that, that that's gonna affect uh, asset prices and, and the stock market for a while. Yeah. Um, and then COVID is out there. We don't know when the next outbreak is gonna be. So we're very nervous to fully commit to an economy, to a public life, which we, which we knew before March of 2020. Definitely. The next variant that appears on the, on the stage is going to completely, uh, well, it's not going to completely, but it's going to cause the economy to take a step backward again. Yeah. So I think my, my biggest concern for the future in the economy is the sheer nervousness of everybody. You know, and I think I'll just add that really ties into this, um, you know, the red, blue, the the political div divisiveness yeah. in the country. And you you see when you look at University of Michigan's index, for example, that when they pull people and kind of slice and dice it by political affiliation, you know, on one side, people are really looking at the positives of the, of the economy, which is yeah. John noted, or it's very strong. Uh, but on the other side of the political spectrum, everything is terrible. Uh, so it's really hard to get a real read on what's going on because of this um, nervousness, you know, and, and this um, divisiveness that I think is, is really unfortunate. Yeah, it, it complicates things. And I think, you know, you're right, I'm, I'm becoming a little bit less uh, optimistic or rosy on the inflation front, only because, as you mentioned, it is getting broader. And I think the, the wage inflation and just the, the kind of employment cost pressures that have come with, you know, and that is a structural change. It seems like people are reevaluating how they work and all that stuff. And it's leading to a really tight labor market. People are deciding to retire early. Um, younger people are deciding that they're going to, you know, be more in the driver's seat when it comes to their negotiation. So it is going to be, I think, more uh, persistent. And it seems like the Fed is at least signaling very, very aggressive uh, 
you know, responsiveness to, to that stuff. But we have to remember too, that inflationary expectations by a number of different measurements are that this thing is going to calm down by the third or fourth quarter of right. 22 and go back around 3%. Right. So, which means that while the definition of transitory is, shall we say debatable, yeah. um, this is transitory. Right. I mean, this is not baked into the economy the way, for example, the hyperinflation or the mega inflation of, of 1982 was. Right. Um, that these things will go away and everybody expects them to go away. And to a certain extent, inflationary expectations determine where inflation is going to go. Right. So we've got to take, got to be a, a cognizant of that. Yeah. And I think what you said too, John, really plays into, you know, just the kind of psychological component of this, right? Because it is very reactive to the news. And I think, you know, in some ways, like you said, the, the inflation will probably start trending back towards the Fed target or maybe be a little bit above where it was coming into this thing. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think people are pricing that in a lot earlier. People get scared by a 500,000 jobs report, right? They get scared by a Fed meeting. They start dumping bonds and rates have to go up to, you know, with all that excess supply of, of bonds out there so it's kind of a self-inflicted um you know self-fulfilling prophecy in a way you know i think one of the the biggest challenges that we have over the near term is figuring out what's going to stick and what's going to go back to the way it was and just you know john mentioned the labor market i mean half of the missing jobs are early retirements you know mm. our people i don't know if my retirement was early or not but people kind of you know timing this and saying hey this is a good time for me to get sure. out there's another big component of that is people starting their own businesses right you've had a big surge yeah. in um in um you know sell in in self-employed and people figuring hey i'm at home i can do this this side hustle can be my my main hustle and i i i do i don't know what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to look different because people, this has changed people and it's changing the economy. You know, there's an old saying in the home building industry that in bad times, you're a carpenter in good times, you're a home builder. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of that applies to the people who are starting businesses now. So I'm going to be skeptical about that. And I think part of the reason, you know, and, and Leslie you, and John, you mentioned about, you know, people retiring early. Um, and part of the reason for uh, people who can retire earlier is, you know, the financial market has been doing well. Now, if the financial market started, you know, getting a little volatile, you know, we may be seeing some people going back to the, um, to the labor market. It's, we have still to see, you know, whether that is going to be the case, uh, but we'll find out. Now, the yeah, other I thing, think, I think it'll be a while before that happens, simply mm -hmm. because consumer portfolios, despite the drop in the market, are still very flush. Yeah, right. With the government aid, the non-spending uh, era, which was the COVID lockdown, those things have really built up reserves on the part of households, mm -hmm. which in part is why they can retire early. And, you mm -hmm. know, perhaps some will come back into the labor force, but they're really flush. And, and to sort of fit into where, what else is happening here? It also means that the impact of something like an interest rate increase mm -hmm. or the Fed's interest rate increases on home purchases is going to be muted. Mm. It's going to be right. muted. And we're seeing that. Because right. people can, in fact, afford the monthly payment at a higher interest rate because of those reserves. Now, prices are a different issue, but for simply because simply confined to the cost of the monthly nut with respect to home ownership because interest rates are up. I don't think that's much of an impact. Right. Yeah. 4% is still very, very low by any standard outside of the last 24 months. Yeah.
Right. I mean, for first time buyers that are on the edge, all of these changes are are significant and magnified. But for the the, the bigger group, it, we haven't seen an impact really at all. Right. In fact, we're coming into 2022 um, in stronger shape than I think many of us thought we would be. So um, we'll see. We'll hit that point. Right. I remember at one point it was five percent was the right. benchmark, you know, and if rates went um, above five, things would slow down, you know, and I don't know what that number is as is today, but I guarantee you there is one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the other yeah. point here is that even in a great year, only seven percent of the housing stock changes hands. Right. Right. So it's it's really marginal changes are important here. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned about interest rates, Leslie, um, you know, and, and way back in 2005 and six, you know, interest rate was at six and a half percent. And that yeah. was considered, you know, really good. Now, right. what do you think, you know, uh, realistically, you know, interest rates uh, is going to end up with, let's say, this year or next year. I mean, we know that Fed funds rates, they're probably going to be raised three to four times. But realistically, what do you think? You know, realistically, I've been in this business long enough to know that forecasting rates <laughs> is a fool's errand, but I would expect <laughs> to see a 4% rate um, by the end of the year. Just, just kind of looking at the inflation numbers today and looking at just the the political pressure on the Fed right now to do something yeah. and to fix this and with the midterms coming up. So um, I know Goldman Sachs came out last week with a, you know, a, a seven times, you know, expecting a, a half a point, seven times this year. Other people are saying, hey, at the March meeting, we're going to get 50 basis points. I, I don't know what the trajectory would be, but I wouldn't be surprised to be um, at four and maybe a little bit above by the end of the year. And again, it may not have that much of an impact on the on the housing market. You got to remember that, let's suppose, which I think is probably a pretty good guess, that the Fed goes 50 basis points four times during the year, mm. which means that the Fed funds rate is two, per, two points higher than it is now. If the rate of inflation comes down to where people expect it to come down, we're still dealing with very low positive interest rates, which is not a, a deal buster and is also a higher number than we had pre and during the pandemic lockdowns where real interest rates were negative. So yes. we're really talking about the Fed having a gentle break on the economy if that, if that set of circumstances uh, occurs. Yeah, no, and I think you know they're they're very hyper focused on inflation. So I think if it if it gets people spending a little bit less, not going as crazy on the auto purchases and that kind of stuff, will help alleviate the supply chain issues. And maybe it'll be a case of, um, you know, speak loudly, carry a small stick, and and hopefully <laughs> didn't seem they, to, it didn't back seem off. To, it didn't seem to uh, work this month. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> with the retail sales up the way they were. Yeah. So. With with you know if, if we do actually see some interest rates increase like John described, um, let's say 100 basis point ish or so on the Fed funds rate, obviously you know for first time buyers uh, it's going to have an effect on you know their ability to pay for you know their first home. Uh, do you see that that might actually have an effect on a price growth? I mean, price have been growing really, really fast in the last year or two, not just in California, but, you know, all over the state, all over the country. Do you think that's going to trigger, you know, a smaller price growth or maybe even a price decline? 
Well, I don't see a price decline. I certainly see a slight deceleration. And I think we're already seeing that. You're seeing that in your numbers Mm -hmm. um, in California. What's been really interesting for me now as I'm doing um, some consulting work with the uh, Keeping Current Matters group, I'm, I'm really looking at all of the um, national data and then, you know, regions within the nation instead of being so laser focused on California. Yeah. And what's pretty interesting is California's going everywhere. You know, when it <laughs> used to be, you know, the prices, you know, the price appreciation was highest in California and the industry, the inventory was lowest and all of these firsts. Well, you're seeing that throughout the country and it's being driven to a huge extent by the work from home, work from anywhere, and housing affordability. Like, mm. what do people do when they can't afford? Well, you know, we've seen um, multi generational housing get, you know, more important. But what yeah. do we do? We move to a an, to a place that's less um, less expensive, and now those places get more expensive. In fact, I was looking at the regional inflation numbers yeah. <laughs> um, by Metro um, a few days ago, and one of the you know highest is Atlanta, you know, mm-hmm. and one of the lower ones is San Francisco because you've had mm-hmm. um, you've had this migration. So I think that's really an, an easy call um, in terms of um, what's going to happen this year and, and and continue is just this redistribution based on it used to be based on job centers, right? right? Mm-hmm. Now it's based even more so on housing affordability and the top 1% are now, gee, I've got three homes, I've got four homes, you know, I'm, I'm just adding to it because it's a, it's a great investment. Yeah, so I moral of the story is you guys made a good investment in Atlanta. We did make a great investment. <laughs> did, did. But now I'm looking at the mansion section of the Wall Street Journal every Friday to do a little house hunting. You know? <laughs> anyway, um, it's very, there are two, two facts here, which I think are very interesting. Number one is, I don't know if this is a fact, but the, the forecast is that when we come out of this, if we ever do come out of it, the pandemic that is, when pan, pandemic becomes endemic, uh, there will still be 20 to 25% of the workforce that will operate remotely. Right. That's up from 5% before the whole thing started. That's one piece of information. The other piece of information is that nine of the 10 fastest growing house price metros, nine of those 10 are either retirement destinations or tech centers. Uh You've got Boise, you've got uh, Austin, but you've also got four or five in Florida. So, So what's happening here is that people who are able to pick their place and people who are retiring early are walking. They're voting with their feet. Yeah. And we're seeing an equalization across the country in terms of price growth. I don't think we're going to see price declines. After all, the only time we've ever seen a price decline is when uh, lenders would sort of allow anyone who could fog a mirror to have a loan. Right. Um, not but we're not going to see that price decline. We are going to see moderation in the rate of price increase. And that moderation will take hold faster in the places where prices have gone up fastest. No, that's a great point. And I think, you know, that's that's kind of why I say it's it's almost a perfect storm, right? Because it's a function of this 
kind of um, structural change from the pandemic where people have that flexibility. You don't have the gun to your head, you know, forcing you to grapple with $6,000 a month apartments just to have the good tech job anymore. And also the rest right. of the countries come yeah. a long way, as you point out with tech sectors, you know, not just being concentrated in San Francisco, they're right. way more spread out. So it's going to be, you know, and, and we've had supply challenges and affordability challenges for a long time. And, and people were kind of didn't have a choice. If you wanted the, the good job now you do, then it's, you know, I think for California in particular, it's really incumbent on us to, I think all that stuff behooves us to get our act together on the supply front because people want that housing. And if we can't deliver, somebody else will. Yeah, I think that's the wild card in all this. What's the, what's the supply reaction going to be? Mm. Um, our, 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 well, and California is making moves to sort of ease up that situation. What about in the rest of the country? You know, are people, uh, are, are home builders going to start building in places? Are rural areas going to become better focused um, mm. in terms of tracking people's an article in the New York Times last week about North Central was it either North Central Tennessee uh-huh. uh, an area about an hour's drive from Nashville where there's a boom going on because of people relocating there because they can right the median home price there is somewhere on the, on the order of two hundred and seventeen thousand dollars Yes. Compare that unheard to, of in California. Yeah, unheard you, of. Uh, you, I don't think you get a. You, I don't think you get a porta potty for two hundred seventy <laughs> right. in California. But they're getting you know fairly spacious houses for prices that are a third of what you guys have, or less than a third of what you guys have in California. Yeah, yeah, it's a problem. I, and I think you know it's it's you know uh, when we look when we talk to economists we know that you know in an ideal economy in a perfect economy people can actually pick and choose you know they can they can shop around and see where you know they have the lowest you know prices for a particular product we were not able to do that before the pandemic for for house shopping because you have to you know stay close to where you work but now there's that flexibility of working from home. Now you have a little bit more, I mean, it's not perfect economy yet, but it's still, you can actually work from, let's say Bakersfield or somewhere else and, and or, you know, uh, San Luis Obispo, you know, right. and- <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> does, that, that? does that work? Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, and uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Oscar. And it'll be interesting to see in the rest of the country and I'll, we'll have to get you guys back because I think, you know, we, it'll, they're going to need to to start really up in the ante in these other markets to in terms of supply to accommodate all these right. extra people and are they going to have that same kind of no growth type of mentality that folks in California have had that really uh, and then lead to the kind of deterioration that we've seen here are we is the is the infection spreading I guess well Let's you know it's it's interesting so we're living in Midtown Atlanta and one of the things that really caught our eye is we're right next to this beautiful old residential area called Ansley Park. And there was a um, initiative on the last ballot that would have allowed um, some of the units, some of the housing in Ansley, because it's close to transportation to become, you know, not just, just single family. And, and everyone was, was up in arms. And I just, as I was driving through and seeing all these no signs, I just thought yeah. this is what, this is what it's about, you know, and you look at these just gorgeous neighborhoods and then just, you know, it's, it's just tough for people to envision something new. And yet we need to do that if, if we're going to have uh, vibrant cities going forward. Let me circle back to something we mentioned earlier. If you, if you talk to home builders, what they're going to tell you is we'd like to build, but 
Right. Mm-hmm. But we have terrific supply constraints. Right. We have right. materials constraints. We have labor constraints. And then we have zoning constraints. Mm. So we're not making it really easy to expand the housing supply, except in areas where people can re- work remotely and prices are very low, like the rural area in, in Tennessee that I talked about. Um, and, and up against that set of barriers, it's really hard to expand the supply of housing in most areas of the country. Yeah, and I think those are, that's unfortunately depressing because those are areas where California in particular, you know, struggles because, and actually it's fascinating. If you look at the out migration, it's not just that we're, you know, hemorrhaging people to other states. A lot of those folks are like, you know, trades, trades and, and skilled contractors and things like that, who, you know, it just kind of compounds the lack of labor supply that makes construction even more expensive. We haven't ratcheted down on any of the regulatory constraints. And so it's hard to, to look out and be, be optimistic, even though the kind of solutions to many of our challenges is so clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the California unease with growth is is really everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. except in <laughs> kind of more rural areas where you just don't have that that density. But in cities all across the the country, there's a, a demand that is um, unmet by by supply, either by design or um, you know bottlenecks or prices, whatever. You know, it's just very difficult. Definitely. Yeah, it is. It's sad. And, and and maybe that's enough of the depressing stuff. How about something? And you guys touched on this a little bit, but the, the millennials are coming into the kind of prime home buying age. I think that's a, a source for potential optimism. They still want homes and stuff. And and so this is might might be a good, um, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity with all these changes for those folks to harness that. Are you optimistic about that? I'm optimistic about it for demographic reasons rather than economic reasons, because mm. I still think they face a daunting a daunting challenge in the housing market yeah. in terms of in terms of a home. Um, you got to remember too; these people are very uh, new to the credit scoring game too. They may not have the kind of uh, resume that allows them to easily get a mortgage. Right. Um, and I think there's an issue here. There obviously an issue with home prices. Obviously, there's an issue with constricted supply and excess demand. So it's tough for them to deal with things. You see horror stories in the media all the time about somebody who bid on 20 houses or 15 houses and didn't get them. So what are you going to do? One of the interesting developments in the business is the development of the power buyer. Mm. uh, Because financing is an issue, but it's an issue not only in terms of what it costs, it's also in terms of whether you have it right away. Right. You know, so the, what the power buyer does is allow the consumer to walk into a house and say, here's the cash. Right now, on a barrel head, boom. And, and that really ups your per, per probability of getting that house. Right. And, and so there are a lot of, lot of barriers facing millennials. I'm beginning to, I used to think they didn't want to become homeowners because they were yeah. so traumatized by the Great Recession. But now I'm beginning to come around to the fact they really do want to become homeowners, but but they're facing big time barriers. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the state of the market there. And when you say millennials, we're really talking about the older side of the millennial generation as opposed to all millennials. Younger millennials are still stuck uh, with not a lot of hope 
of, of, of owning a home. You know, and, and kind of the mirror image of that is also with respect to demographics or the baby boomers that are staying put, right. they're living longer. It either doesn't pencil out or it doesn't emotionally make sense for them to move. So they are staying in their um, in their homes, you know, and we've tracked this for years at, yeah. at CAR and, and it's it's the same with the uh, with the national data. So mm -hmm. maybe just the mortality, the impending mortality of the baby boomers is going to be a, a bright spot um, <laughs> eventually. <Yeah. laughs> Only yeah. Leslie could do the, the positive spin on that. I love it. I know, right? right. But I think that also says invest in health, invest in healthcare stocks and nursing home companies. Right. Oh, that's a tip. That's the pro tip, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, with with more people staying, you know, in um, you know, with with a baby boomer staying in um, in their home a little longer, and we 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 have those statistics. You know, they're staying in their home for eleven years, twelve years or so. That's California specific, but I I'm sure you know numbers are pretty daunting also in other states as well. Mm -hmm. um, that is going to you know constrain supply even more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the upcoming years. Um, I, I think that's going to create a lot more affordability issues for millennial. Um, and, you know, are we, are we are we expecting, you know, more people to out migrate from California in that sense then? Or hopefully, you know, maybe just out migrate to, you know, more affordable cities within California, but there's a, still a, a, a possibility, right? Then we might see more out migration. If I'm not mistaken, didn't your population go down last year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, yeah. reading that. So I, I think just going back to the conversation we just had, I think the answer to that is is yes. You notice how she said your instead of our? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. She's gotten away from this. She's out of it. You know? she's, yeah, she's full official now. Yeah, I think the, the interesting, one of the interesting population facts is that the U.S. is growing largely owing to immigration and mm. uh, births from immigrants. And, and I think that whole, raises a whole nother series of issues in terms of housing and where you're going, what you're going with. And as far as the, uh, the baby movers are concerned, baby movers may want to stay in their houses, but they're an awful burden. You know, even if it's just we have like rooms we've sealed off and haven't gone into in years. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe uh, in, in, in the same vein as the accessory dwelling unit approach, maybe the breaking up of boomer housing into several households. Yeah. Uh, maybe in a tenancy situation, maybe a co-ownership, whatever. Maybe that's a policy line which might have some relevance given the population structure. I love it. We're primed for that here because they just passed some of those laws where right. a lot of owners can can do a lot of that right. stuff. So but that existing homes may be too big. And you know, it's scary to downsize for boomers. And even scarier is the fact that they may have to leave their house and go to an assisted living facility. Yeah. So if there's some way they can stay in their house and yet create more units for more households, especially younger households, maybe you've got a winner there. Who knows? Yeah, win-win. I love it. And it's not a huge, big apartment block that people are more opposed to. It's more uh, palatable, shall we say. Exactly. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. I want to ask before we, before we, you know, have to let you go, just all the other stuff, because we've really been focused on people and pocketbooks and what 
policymakers are doing. I, I wonder what your guys' thoughts are because you have such a deep, you know, background in real estate as well. And just with the members and, you know, there's so many different things going on outside of all the stuff that we just talked about up to now, whether, you know, there's the industry disruption and, and just all the other stuff, what's going on with NAR and the Department of Justice, the MLS is doing all kinds of stuff across the nation and policies and mergers and I I'm buyers. Curious, yeah, what your perspective is on on the industry and these mega changes. And yeah, I think buyer's agent commission is becoming more of a hot topic and just what should folks be looking out for? What are the real things that you're, you know, kind of monitoring or would be concerned about or what just has the potential to really change everything? There's blockchain, Bitcoin, we're getting homes sold by NFT, all this crazy stuff. First of all, I was under the impression we had a couple hours here. So you're telling me we're cutting this off. We, we can go on. Startling revelation. We want a re-invitation. We want more time. We want more time. Oh yeah, no, we're we're here at your convenience. I I feel guilty no, monopolizing your time. Just kidding. We, hey, we're retired. We're retired. We have nothing. We're good. Uh, well, not quite completely retired. Mostly retired. Uh, I, you know, as I said, I mentioned before the, the morphing into power buyers, you know, I think the market is going to react to the needs of consumers and innovate to those needs. Mm. So I regard things like iBuyers and power buyers as innovating to the needs of consumers. Right. Now, I think a lot of what will happen eventually is those innovations will be absorbed into the more traditional real estate structures. Mm. The same way that a lot of dot-coms were absorbed into the big industrial structure. Yeah. So I can see, for example, an NRT buying a successful iBuyer or, or power buyer right. um, uh, to, to add, to the, add another arrow to their quiver. So I think what's happening is the real estate industry is changing at the edges, and those changes will be, be absorbed into the center. Mm. I don't see anything sort of breaking off and, and going whatever. Got it. I think that uh, because it is essentially a welfare program for attorneys, the NAR DOJ conflict will go on forever. Right. Um, we'll have continual reversals of judgments mm -hmm. and that keeps the lawyers happy. So I don't think that's a really big deal as far as things are concerned. Um, but as, and as far as technology is concerned, I think gradually realtors will begin to become part of the 21st century, part of 2022, 2023 in terms of technology. But I think you've got to remember that technology is only a tool and it it's really depends on who wields it. And this gets back to the real estate lore that it's all about people. And in fact, it is. You know, I, I, I have a, a kind of a different, or. A, an additional perspective. And I well, was she's thinking, younger. She's younger I'm younger. <laughs> I was thinking of 23 years ago when CAR did its first internet versus traditional buyer survey, right? Mm -hmm. And it was, it was groundbreaking. It was really new and it was fresh. And I love that. They used it too. It was yeah. Great. It was, it was like, wow, these, and let's watch it. And over the next 10 years, all of a sudden the traditional buyer became the, um, the internet a buyer. So we have just in that period of time seen just tremendous change with 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 tech and digital and, and all of that in our industry, not to mention the last two years where mm. essentially everybody had to get with the program right. because that was the only program um, around. And yet 
here we are with the utilization rate of realtors in transactions that I believe is higher than it's ever been, right? It's 95%, yeah, something absolutely. like that. Yeah. So I want to... I want to close my comments with just a reevaluation of this founding belief in our industry that people don't like realtors, don't trust realtors, don't know what realtors do, and don't like realtors. Because I would say, going back to the theory of revealed yeah. preference, <laughs> that you are looking at a, an economy where when people want to do this huge important transaction, they want to find a good realtor. Right. So I think we need to maybe quit being quite so defensive and spend some more, spend more of our time really getting with innovations. And John's talking about power buyers. There's all kinds of things that can make the transaction easier, but don't be, let's not be defensive anymore. I think we've won. You know? yeah. I think the, the value of the realtor is, is, is there for all, all to see. So I just, I needed to get that off my chest. I, love it. I, I agree with that, Leslie. That's what, you know, it, yeah. a long time, you know, it, this is a long time ago, a long time ago, the early eighties, I worked for a guy who I regard as kind of a mentor. And mm -hmm. he had been an economist in trade associations, heading up several, whatever, since the 50s. All right. So he oh, was yeah. getting close to retirement at that point. And so one of the trade one of the trade journals um, interviewed him on the occasion of his retirement. And they said to him, you know, you've been in this business for 40 years. What's been the biggest change that you've seen in the industry? This is the mortgage, mortgage bank, not mortgage bank, uh, mutual savings bank and savings loan industries. Yeah. What do you think has been the biggest change you've seen in the industry? And he looked at the, in, uh, he looked at the interviewer and he said, air conditioning. <laughs> so, essentially it's the little things which make the biggest changes which make which make things change the most and i kind of i kind of agree with leslie aside from physicians realtors have a bigger share of mind of the public than any profession yeah and that hasn't changed yeah and that's not going to change the key is for realtors to remain relevant and individual realtors now to remain relevant to the public by innovating to their needs. Right. That's the important right. idea. Right. Amen. Hey, let's just uh, cut there and make that our next CAR <laughs> commercial. I, I totally agree. And that's kind of the tune I've been singing as well is like, you know, it's still the biggest expenditure anybody's ever going to make even more so now in this environment of right. prices they want the expertise and i think you're absolutely right we're the ones who are on the side of consumers that win when consumers win and when they get into home ownership when they get the best price for their home and what have you and and you know the internet doesn't care about that kind of stuff they don't care about fair housing and all of that stuff so i think it's you know double down on those consumers is the is the path towards relevance and all of that and i think that the proof is in in the pudding so thank you for for singing those praises to our members i think it's it's, it's absolutely right on, on it's our pleasure i mean this is we've been here long enough and we we have a really deep feeling for the industry and i think that's what you heard it's very heartfelt and it's been a, a really joy for me to get a more national perspective the yeah. last 
the last couple of years and see um, and see kind of these true truisms emerge. You know, it, it wasn't just California; it's a national phenom. Oscar, what else should we should we abuse even more of their time, or did we leave anything out? I think we covered, you know, uh, pretty much everything. Of course, we can always use more of Leslie's and John's time, but I, I want to make you guys sure. All day. Yeah, well, you but, can invite you can invite us back. I mean, we're more than willing to talk to you guys. We just really we really it's so enjoy good it. to see we're you, really, and I'm really so proud it. of the work that you're that you're doing. Just you know, head and shoulders above what 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 we did before, and all really very impressive. No, thank you guys so much. It was thank so you. fun, and I I really could. Uh, uh, talk to you guys all day. So, and everybody heard it on the record that you will come back. So we're going to hold you to that. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got, we're here for you a hundred percent. And again, it's just a feast for sore eyes, you know, to see you guys. <laughs> no, this is really, really great. And I think very beneficial for our members too. Absolutely. Um, thank you all for listening out there to our audience. I think this is like our 104th episode or something like that. So uh, we're, we have been really enjoying this ride and hope you have been too. As we know more, we'll make sure that you all do uh, as we know. It. And until next time, I hope you all have a great one. Goodbye. Bye-bye.